the seeping toxins of weaponized plague, flowing mercilessly into lungs begging for their salvation. The sea of gas blistering its way across the field of battle, its unprejudiced touch providing an agent of death and compatriotism with pain. A drowning of one's soul as the gas puppeteers your body into a sickening dance, featuring a floundering of the agonized spirit, only to be finalized with the merciful touch of a bullet, or an anguishing reality of adjuring oneself to the creeping attack of the nerves. That was the conclusion that I had to find the lives of the victims struck in the agonizing state in which had grown to be the sickening standards of our lives within the trench. I mean not to cause alarm to those whom witness this letter, this lexicon of truth which defines my experiences in this war. I cannot help but feel the tinge of sorrow and remorse for those whom have taken in the diabolical grip of conflict, and they no longer bear the weight of such an undignified existence. Despite the constant spiking assaults of the mind, the enveloping whistle of an NCO demanding our tribute of blood for the cost of land, I continue to be ever so shocked in the visages that this ghastly war presents me. I know not of which reality lays, whether it be the deterioration in my psyche, or more disturbingly the truth within my anguished perception. It's hard to look over my fellow survivors, huddled in their holes, hoping that the unprejudiced eye of German artillery glances over our forlorn existence. I've tried to communicate my sightings with them, yet I've only received the hushed warnings brought against me for even presenting such a matter. I could tell that they have seen the whisper of the gas the way their cardinal panic breaches the stillness of their stare, but they refuse to entertain such conversation. I've even received warnings against speaking of such matters, but I've been disturbed far past the point in which the wrath of a second lieutenant can instill in me. The reasoning for such censorship, however, is not lost. I understand that even before such occurrences, we were in no position to introduce a matter that instigates the anxiety that surrounds this trench. When I first came to this war, a virgin of violence and body who knew nothing of what it meant to be a man, I was scared. I couldn't help but try and reconcile the shaking of my hands by bolstering my spirit and nerve with the lighting of the pipe. This habit was soon taken away with the piercing sounds of a 792 from the German Gewehr. I couldn't exactly argue with the effectiveness of this anti-smoking campaign. Yet I can't help but feel a small tinge of disappointment captivating my recent personal development. It's clear this war has taken grip of my spirit and liveliness. The greatest descriptor of my character has been indifference. I no longer quake when the sounds of artillery crash mercilessly against our bastion of mud, the sounds of carnivorous wire constricting the movement of the Germans as it ensnares their advance in barbaric embrace. No. Instead, only curiosity peeks through the curtain of this indifference. 
a curiosity stemming from whether my fate will be determined by the bullet or by the gas. To some this may be grim, a dismal reflections of the conditions not even suited for tortured pigs out of butchery. But once the trench floorboard has been replaced with the stiffness of rigor mortis, pleasantries seem more comparable to redundancies. I must, however, step away from my digressions. I do not write this letter to reflect the conditions in which we bear, as I've no doubt that thousands of shaking hands have come to summarize such an existence far better than I. No. Instead, I write of an oddity, one in which has been the topic of my mind for many days now. It was an experience or a feeling, one in which hasn't reflected itself on me since my first arrival to the trenches. It was a curiosity. It wasn't a fear of the usual spectation, not even a fear of my fatality, but a particular oddity that my mind can't help but wander to in times of silence. I've asked my other countrymen to account for their stories and experiences, but as mentioned before, I've been met with indifference. And so instead, I must only provide you my perspective of the encounter. You know your sector of fire, Lance Corporal. Maintain your nerve, but more importantly, keep your observation. The Fritz haven't kept their usual schedules of movement, so expect their little probing bands to pay you a visit. My sergeant punctuated with a slap of my back while retreating back from the fire step. Or at least have the courtesy to fall on the floorboard so we could hear that you're going to need replacement on the vicar's. He laughed while sinking back into the darkness capturing my flanks. I couldn't help but join him in his merriment. The notion of the floorboards making any kind of creaking outburst was unlikely at best, considering the many inches of mud layered on top of them. But still, I understood his intention. His orders were the same as many nights prior. Remain vigilant and give alarm. And despite the simplicity of the direction, it would remain an arduous task. I felt fatigue bring itself over my body as I continued to stand my post and watch the endless lands of cratered mud before me, blemished by the snarling hedgerows of wire entangling the bodies that the machine guns indiscriminately feasted upon. My sergeant's words carried more weight in the groveling stillness of my mind. The realization that the wave of Jerry had yet to crest itself on our position for more than a week now. Another attack, another defense. If any luck, another body to feed the gun. Maybe I would have something else to look at aside from the humbling sight of the victims who had been rotting for the last week in no man's land but my thoughts were soon cut with the roar of a red phosphorus colliding with the powdered glass of a strike surface on the matchbox. I glanced over at the offender of my stillness. Dimly lit by the match was a gaggle of innocence. Privates recently fed to our forward trench from the rearward supply. The cherry on one cigarette was lit. The soldier inhaling deeply to counteract the agents of moisture bidding against his successful ignition. 
Then the stick of torturing light was passed to the second for him to repeat the gesture to his own gasper. And despite my jealousy of the men taking comfort in their smokes outside the observation of Jerry's eye, I felt some reprieve when the wind caught the smoke and drifted to my nose. The smell of freshly burned tobacco always helped me remedy the stench of squalor that accompanied the battlefield graves. Bringing the match down, the second man stretched across the trench to the third, who was surely pressed to ignite his own. He was number three. This told me everything I needed to know of the men. They had looked fresh, but clearly their experiences were only extended to the point of basic training and rumors they heard of Psalm before their arrival. Slowly, he started to ignite his own. I had already extinguished any anger after watching my own mates get cut like limber by the 792 buzzsaw. But regardless, it would always remain a shame to see a man adjourn oneself due to the most popular form of slaughter inexperience. And the naive... My heart wouldn't feel too callous for the men who jovially interacted with each other, reminiscing back to the days of simplicity, where the primary sources of stress were getting high marks, and occasionally the disappointment of rejection from their courtship. But this was a new life, a new world featuring a conflict that sought to strip the earth of its beauty, a cannibalization of a world in peace, in favor of the molested landscape of the blood of men and tears of mothers. The rattling of desperation snatched my wandering mind. I could only accompany the sound with a rat pulling violently against the iron clamp trap, a desperate pulling to remove oneself from the vicing grip of the device, the wire. I couldn't see anything, but I knew the primary wire we had laid had canalized the enemy into my kill zone. The soft echoing of a similar struggle was heard within the secondary obstacles. I didn't care. I had caught my target. Pressing the stock of the Vickers into my shoulder, I pulled right tight down, just as was instructed to us when we were learning how to use such an autonomous contraption of war training in which has proved itself time and time again to me in this war. And slowly, I wrap my finger around the trigger, slowly constricting the device as to release the sear and open the fires of England. Click. Every day continues to be a new opportunity to prove to myself the capabilities of my unbounded stupidity. I chuckle to myself while releasing the trigger. Bringing my hand forward, I reached for the charging handle, pulling it back to chamber the first round of prejudice delivered via 308, courtesy of the king. I felt the creeping bile finding its way into my throat, the blood flushing through my veins as with shaking hands I returned it to the trigger. I always did my best to see, well, them, as nothing more than a pest. It was supposed to make it easier for when the time came to perform my duty to God and country. But yet, I was never able to completely fool myself. I couldn't shake the fact that such an enemy has the same blue eyes as my own, or its trembling hand as it scrapes its way reluctantly closer. 
just as mine is finding its refuge once again on the trigger. I could hear them now, the shuffling of bodies, the hun, dragging themselves closer to my position. The scared, the anxious people, performing a task ordered to them despite wishing for nothing more than to return to the same fields in which I long for. I've killed men. No, I've killed Hun before, but every time was a continuing battle of doing my duty, or the small amount of guilt I still had in order to retain some semblance of humanity. I cannot destroy that side of me. No matter how many rounds I feed to the hog, the guilt simply won't stop to exist. But I wasn't to worry about that now for there were others to waste the side from my own spirits. The ripping sounds of an inferno of hate emerged through the stillness of the night, the brass tumbling silently as my world became that of feeding my machine. Soon the flashes from my barrel highlighted the infestation of men scrambling before me. I tore into the flesh of targets closest to me the squirming bodies piling over their dead to remove itself from the hunting beams of my weapon. And soon, my countrymen joined in the symphony of sacrilege against life, tearing into the scouring bodies with their own rifles, their grenades, their bayonets, and most of all, their hate. The sounds of piercing whistles soon stood testimony against the thunderous piercing of small arms fire. The butchery was being orchestrated in such a manner of efficiency that I nearly felt guilt for such an effective defense. Although if I stood behind my gun and continued to fire, the screams would be replaced with rounds, and the praying and begging of my unknown enemy would soon be silenced. We continued to clean, to scrub, to fight the seeping grime from our trench. In fact, it brought me once again back to the days of my teenage years, scrubbing mercilessly at the tile in my bathroom, barely able to breathe from the blistering smell of bleach. Gas! 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 I screamed while releasing the trigger, quickly ripping my hands downward to my kit, searching vigorously for my mask in which to protect myself from its clawing hunger. I felt a warm trickle of piss, start to soak itself down my pant leg. A useful habit when we resorted to rags, but now brought more embarrassment than life-saving technique. Still, I floundered, the drums of war deafening my senses as one source of light was stifled upon the release of the trigger. Despite my training, despite the discipline, and despite everything I've gone through, this once familiar feeling emerged itself to prove once again my humanity. It was fear, the torturing anxiety that came with rumor of this intoxicating bleach. The idea of a bullet to some was one of comfort, but men insane or stable shared hands in common desperation against being trapped in the cleansing snare of that gas. At least all the men who would see it as something more than just a tool to win the war. Worries in which were below the men who would put us in this ghastly trench. And finally my hand brushed against the carrier that fastened the respirator against my body. 
With cardinal desperation, I tore at the satchel in which contained the device. Never before have I quite fumbled so severely at such a menial task. I felt the gas starting to fill my lungs, the blistering agent swelling itself into every facet of my breath. My diaphragm started to spasm. I was losing control as my vision choked into a deathly focus. And finally, I ripped the mask from its binding cell and adorned it as quickly as possible. And with my final breath I exhaled, ejecting the toxic cloud from my lungs and clearing my apparatus. I followed such a deportation of pain with a clear breath the oxygen finally making its way to my lungs in place of the strangling alternative. But with the gas came a standstill. The firing ceased. The advance had stopped. Another assault was repelled. But now all that was left was the torturous consequences of such a horrific artisan of pain. I stood there, motionless my body resigning itself to collect my being for but a moment, and I looked across my sector, analyzing what had become my entire life in a striking moment, suddenly released to an inconsequential period of immense suffering. A fog of yellowish gas continued to shroud the battlefield. My visibility was limited due to such a monstrous fog, combined with the limited light provided by the newly birthed sun. But then I heard it, a sickening gargle produced by some apparatus far removed from the consistency of man. Slowly, I closed my eyes, and I took a struggling inhale, something of a mockery to what I had been hearing, but what I heard many times before. I could already tell it was a man, or rather a boy, one who did not have the same fortune as I, one in which was not breathing the very same salvation that I was. Without opening my eyes, I lowered my hand to my service pistol, one in which was issued to every man on the machine gun. In all honesty, I never envisioned myself taking a life with one, aside from my own when the rain of bullets finally stopped from the roaring gun. I began to remove it from its holster, gripping it firmly. The weight of such a tool continued to mount as I realized quite what I had intended to do. Its exponential weight is only multiplied by the anguished begging emitted from his screams. Sounds of torture that should have only been reserved for the layers of hell negotiated by Dante. It was obvious this wasn't my first time stripping a body from one's soul, but this was different. He wasn't the enemy. He was a victim. Another faceless casualty to this madness that has enveloped the world. I couldn't help but to ask myself, what evolution of insanity would allow boys like him to die over the petty squabbles from those who would never have even witnessed the drained consequences strewn mercilessly across the fields of conflict? Finally, I opened my eyes and took another breath. Turning to my left, I was forced to endure a sight which compelled me into a certain sense of victimhood myself. 
No words would justify the anguish painted on the soul in which continued to thrash a sickening dance in front of me. The sight itself was torturous to take in. I can only imagine the pain in which his mind was needing to endure, assuming in which it hadn't been shattered by the profound fear that was clearly demonstrated in his bulging eyes. My own mind couldn't develop a grasp of the situation, and it shames me to admit that during his struggle, I stood there, watching, shocked while enduring his shattered gargling. I couldn't tell whether it was bile or blood, yet the yellow sewage tinted with red suggested that it was a cocktail of both. I began to notice the blisters, Sinister centers of pus began to overtake the poor wretched body, and soon his skin started to resemble the battlefield he would die on, a rough and uneven texture of abused flesh. There was such a sense of absurdity that overtook me. This left a most painful lesson of the results when communication fails on the most ultimate level, when the cost of a misunderstanding is paid forward with the tortured souls of young men. Gripping the pistol firmly, I lifted the heavy metallic tool into a position that had grown eerily familiar to my joints. Of course, this was different. It wasn't a target lined in the iron sights. This was a person, not an enemy. And even though now I've come to the terms with the fact that there is no enemy, only survivors in different uniforms. Wrapping my finger around the trigger, I began to prepare myself for the necessary task in which I could only excuse with the justification of mercy. And then I heard it. A dragging. It sounded as if another man was injured, another survivor, although it came from the direction in which my prior enemy made their advance. Still, I felt the repetitions of my heart continue to pulse with an increased frequency of anxiety. Changing the vector of my pistol, I brought it to the crest line of the trench. I thought that the waves of German advance had stopped, and I had prayed that I could take a moment to endure the loss of life of one man, and not have to take a second. My expectations were soon altered, however as the sound grew louder upon its intersection with our position. It was clear that whatever the genesis of the sound was, it was not in the same standing of health in which I found myself. No, the specter was producing the same putrid gargling of the writhing body on the floor. I could hear it closely now. Its approach was slow, but came with great deliberation. A shuffling of flesh orchestrated itself as a mixture of boots scuffling in mud was mixed with the tortured breathing of the gas victim. Through the shrouding mist of chlorine gas, I saw a silhouette. The figure stood with a hunch, the integrity of its stance clearly compromised with a most catastrophic injury. Attempting to force my eyes to take in more detail, I lost focus on the front sight post of my firearm and let the device travel as I started to lower my arm. 
I had no intention of introducing more suffering to this figure, which already seemed to possess it in abundance. He continued to make his advance, undeterred by the pistol in which I continued to present with a minor level of alertness, but the closer he drew to us, the desperation of his state became apparent. I started to question its very mortality as bandages wrapped its torso, but through each repetition of his step brought greater strain on the staunching gas. I could tell that the bowels of the man started to introduce itself past the confinements placed on it. Drawing my eyes downward, my stare was brought to a stocky pair of heavy leather boots, the soles clearly aged and scarred by heavy usage in the conditions of our shared livelihood. His right foot, however, dragged behind his gate, dragging heavily across the mud that was now connecting to the floorboards of the trench. And for the first time, I began to see it clearly. It was adorned in the uniform of the enemy, and yet it possessed no clear indication of its maliciousness. The gas mask it wore, however, obscured the details of his face, with the only suggestion of prior humanity stemming from the punctured goggle of the mask. The socket itself was sunken, and the eye shared companionship with the putrid bile spewing from the seizing man. The private's gargling was drowned in my own beating chest, a pulsing of a heart that had endured multiple repetitions from the battering of artillery and assaults of men. But this fear wasn't natural. It only came from something that could only be described as an agent stemming from the bubbling pits of depravity. And yet, I didn't feel fear for my own mortality. I felt the trance slowly starting to tide itself over the grip of my own consciousness. And then I understood. This fear wasn't one of my own self-preservation, but rather came from the idea of the shambling macabre, sustaining even more egregious injury. It was mercy. Just as the man next to me began to crest the final breaths of life, so did this figure that shambled before me. They were both victims of this pointless war. Both their bodies were servicing the toll of stupendous abuse. It was clear that life was siphoned from the husks that both these men puppeteered, while I myself was barely keeping faculty over my own body. And finally, it came upon us. Continuing with no obvious signs of aggression, the victim made its way forward to the man who laid next to me. I felt a tinge of fear with every footfall, but a soft reassurance continued to take me. It started to take its position next to the man, slowly bending over to meet him in a lowered position, so that the creature shared a certain intimacy with the victim of the gas. The private's gargling started to match itself to a more subtle stillness. His tortured gasps of final breaths regained a soft rhythm, still strained, but not subjected to the immense pain that was previously captivating it. The creature reached down and started to intertwine the cold hand against the more flesh-toned one possessed by the private. 
With the other hand, the creature reached down to its waist, drawing its fingers closely to its hip. And I readied my pistol. While it didn't display such hostility before, I was above such risks. But paying no mind to my gesture, it continued on its own, tracing the decrepit waistline to a leather satchel. Continuing my observation, I realized that this was the same satchel in which had confined the gas mask, now preserving the anonymity of this being. His hand ventured for a moment in his bag and soon found the object of his search. Withdrawing his arm, he brought the object below the private's nose. Unfortunately, the figure obscured my sight so that it couldn't make out precisely what it was. And with that, I could tell that the breathing of the private had grown still. The sounds of the battlefield soon returned to the painful symphony of silence that I had now grown to despise. With a final tightening of his hand, the figure released his hand and drew his way upwards, returning to the hunched state in which he had approached us with. Now that silence was all that remained, he started his retreat in a direction back towards no man's land, and soon was once again enveloped by the tainted mist of chlorine. All that broke such a silence was the sounds of a heavy boot dragging its way further from my position. With something of a gruesome curiosity, I brought my attention once again to the private. Rested below his nose was the petals of a poppy flower, positioned in such a way that could replace the nauseating bleach smell of the gas and sewage of human remains. His eyes were closed, and an expression that softly resembled that of an inner acceptance. Seeing no need for my weapon, I once again brought it to my holster and seated it, and at the time, I was completely infatuated with the sight that had just defined my experience with this war. After such an event, I had found myself in the reserve trench, enjoying the meters that separated myself from no man's land or from whatever in which that being torments. I cannot say as to what I may have seen, or to define any feature of my experiences from that reality or most peculiar fiction, but despite it all, this war continues. The pulsing violence continues to pound mercilessly through the night, and the precursive bashing of the snare complimenting the artillery abusing the landscape. I don't pretend to say, however, that this experience was one that has possessed the most anguish in my mind, for I know that such a spirit had granted mercy, possessing a certain irony that such an agent demonstrated more humanity than the displays of my fellow men. Regardless, to any of whom may come across this letter. I hope I find you in good health. But finally, I must beg of you. Soon the souls of this war shall return to the homes in which we had fought for. Do not look at them with eyes scorned with their cowardice. But just know that for some, the fields of Psalm have become their new mental trench. 
as no one was there to give them petals of poppy to drown out this war.